0: Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Because we do want to represent the U.S. to the local community and show that the U.S. is not a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed person.
1: Hi everyone, this is Miriam Tinberg. I did CLS 2012 Amman Jordan and then Fulbright ETA 2014 to 2015 in Rabat, Morocco. Today on the podcast, we have Wendy Van Heesen. She's an alumna of the 2017 CLS Chinese program in Chongchun, China, and the 2018 CLS Ambassador. And she's currently working as a registered nurse in New York City.
0: I would say that learning Chinese has set me on the path that I am now and was really a turning point in my life. I come from a Chinese family, but didn't grow up speaking Mandarin Chinese. So that was always a really big goal of mine to eventually reach a advanced level of proficiency in you know my native language, supposedly. But I actually didn't start learning Mandarin until I was nineteen, and it was my sophomore year of college. And started from the ni hao, all the tones. I had only really knew how to order food with my family previous to that. So it was a really big step for me. And then after I you know, went to China, it was just like I couldn't stop learning. I um, found every opportunity I could to come back to China. So after I graduated, I decided to go to Shanghai and I worked at um, Shanghai General Hospital in the International Medical Center there. And that kind of snowballed and led me to Taiwan the next year. So learning the language and culture has really led me on a different path than I originally thought. At first, it was just like a family connection, and then it kind of led to a career where I really wanted to actively seek out um, opportunities in Asia and with uh, Chinese businesses.
1: So you talked a little bit about what made you want to study Chinese. So for you, it started out as a family connection to the language, right? Mm -hmm. And you grew up not speaking Chinese really, or just knowing the like learning the basics?
0: We would speak in mostly English, but um, they would try to add some Chinese in here and there. Uh, my family does speak a couple of dialects, and I would hear Cantonese as well from my aunts and uncles when um, I was growing up. But for for towards all the younger kids like myself, my brothers, my cousins, we'd all just spoke to each other in English.
1: Okay, so why do you think then that learning a language, specifically Chinese, in China, or studying it at least, is important? How did it feel different from, you know, just being kind of around it with your family?
0: For me, I had to actively want to learn the language. When I was younger, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't have that deep desire to learn the language. Um, Maybe that came from wanting to fit in with the environment around me. And also my parents never once pressured us to go to Chinese weekend school. I never went to that school. Um, like a lot of other kids I knew they did, and it didn't sound very fun to me using your Saturday to sit in on more classes. Um, so for me, I, um, as I grew older, I found myself wanting to explore my family heritage. I knew that my, um, grandma's side of the family ended up in Taiwan. how did p- you know, people decide to immigrate and for what reasons. Um, and I also wanted to be able to fully understand my family history as well as communicate with older members of my family. And Chinese was the only language that I felt that deep connection to. I had studied Spanish in high school, don't know anything. So I feel like you really have to love a language and want to um to devote that time and effort to it if you're going to reach a certain level of proficiency. So they, um, during CLS, they always say like after you come home, then you might see a decline in your language ability. Um, so like you might have been like at your best when you did your OPI, but if you, you know, took a year break and then you took that test again, you probably wouldn't score as well if you hadn't been actively practicing your language skills. So I definitely feel that now. Um, I do live close to my family again, so now I speak to my grandparents in Mandarin, and that's really nice. and they've they've really noticed um, how much I've improved since you know nineteen years old now i'm twenty four. <laughs>
1: This podcast is mainly about diversity and inclusion. Basically, a couple of us had strong passions and interests towards diversity and issues of diversity, both personally. And Ashley, my co-host, works in the field. And so we thought we'd make this podcast both about language learning, but also specifically about diversity in this CLS context, which is like a whole other thing. So I'm curious if, if you could just identify or define what diversity and or inclusion means to you. Diversity and inclusion are interrelated, but I do see clear distinctions
0: between the two. When I'm thinking about diversity, I'm thinking of kind of the full spectrum of human demographic differences, whether that's race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, even um, socioeconomic status. But I do think that inclusion is more of a feeling of belonging, whether in a a cultural context or work context. In an ideal situation, there be both diversity and inclusion. I feel like the two are very much intertwined when it comes to many aspects of my life, whether it's my workplace or being part of CLS. I want to work and collaborate with a diverse group of people, but in order to do so successfully, I do feel like I need to deliberately welcome diversity and also cre- to create an inclusive environment where people from all different backgrounds can thrive.
1: I'm wondering if you could talk about specifically um, how diversity and inclusion are important when you are learning a language abroad in a CLS type context.
0: I would love to expand on that. I felt like both groups I was I was a part of in CLS were very diverse people from various um, backgrounds from different parts of the U.S. And that is important because we want to represent the U.S. to the local community and show that the U.S. is not a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed person. And I think they were able to get that from our group. And also, like, maybe in our local community in Changchun, that was the first time they had ever seen a black person before. And then, however that person interacted with them, that would be how they would, you know, kind of think of the entire black community from the U.S. And that's not not necessarily true. Um, Or they would um uh, project any stereotypes they had seen on TV or movies onto that person um so i had a lot of conversations with classmates and sometimes they would talk about that they felt the burden of representing their race or their culture mm. to the local community and that was quite a heavy burden for them to carry one friend said that so he always wanted to improve and he always thought about exactly what he wanted to say Um, whereas me, like, I just, I don't really care if I make a mistake. I, um, I just say whatever, how I feel, but I was like, wow, I didn't realize you felt that way. Like, I really want to encourage you because that is really difficult. And, um, there was also a girl who's adopted in our group and sometimes the Chinese people would automatically just expect her to translate for our entire group when there was many different, People at various levels within our group, and some of them were at a much higher level. So that was also very difficult for her. And I just thought it was really important to just support each other, and also even stand up for each other at times. I would just say we're all American. Um, actually, we're at various different levels of Chinese, and they they would um, the locals would want to expand on that, and
1: ask more questions. Did you were you surprised with kind of how challenging that was, both? Like for me personally, I we had we all had similar experiences. Um, I look more Middle Eastern than a lot of the other people in the group, but I'm a woman. I'm a Jew. All those things, and so I was surprised by how certain things were more easy, were easier and more difficult for me um, than I had expected. Were you surprised with how those dynamics, both from the CLS group and then the reaction from Chinese people, were, or were you kind of expecting that?
0: By the time I did CLS, I hadn't already had a few years of experience in China from uh, initially studying there and then later working there. It still surprised me on a certain level, but then I was also kind of used to it. Um, I definitely relate to what you mean. So sometimes people would ask me for help, directions. um, They'd be a lot more forward in the questions they asked me than they would of someone else in my group who was like a white American. So I definitely can very much relate to what you mean by that. And um, while I was in China, I did feel a little bit of that pressure that I was already supposed to be fluent because of how I look. Um, Whereas if someone else, like another friend, if they said like two words, like, ni hao, hi, how are you? Everybody say, well, your Chinese is so great. Like, I'm so impressed by you. But for me, it's like, I need to be perfect speaking-wise, writing, reading for them to say, wow, you have good language
1: skills. God, that is very yeah. That's I think that's a similar experience across the board. Um, but for me, I think it was different because not being Arab, I I found it a compliment to be like, "Wow, your name is Miriam, and you you look Arab, so you you are Arab in our eyes." Which to me, I was like, "This is the best thing ever." But I can see and I be curious to hear you talk about it actually being of Chinese descent and not being at the language level that they think you are at and not being able to do certain things and maybe not feeling as confident yourself. Um, mm-hmm. were, was that something that brought you down? Was it something that made you question your identity? Did you find it empowering? Did it make you think about your family? Like kind of what was your reaction as you were experiencing that? And then did that change from the beginning to the end of your time in China?
0: Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I actually adjusted really well to China, starting from like my first experience (laughs) there. Some people had really struggled with like the food and just um, being in an environment where, you know, it's just totally different from the U.S. But I think growing up in Manhattan and New York City really helped me. And I was very ready for that transition in my life. So I just was completely immersed in the culture starting from 2013 and then participating in CLS. Um, none of that ever got to me. I like thrived in that environment. So it just made me want to absorb more. I'd write down any words I didn't know. So I, um, I mean, I feel lucky that I didn't have some of the typical struggles that some of the students go through. Um, I mean, China is just so different from the U.S. So for me, yeah, I definitely think it was a positive thing for me and it pushed me to want to be better. And I also caught on really quick. I um, listened to some Chinese music and watched TV and movies. So it's not like I'm only um, reading from a book. So a lot of other students, they might not have had like Chinese friends or volunteer in the Chinese community. And those are um, opportunities I actively sought out whenever I was in China previously. So that all those experiences helped me prepare for CLS. I also, you know, I was at a Chinese hospital where I had to learn all these new medical terms. And I was in an environment where I had to speak Chinese um, medically. So I, I think that pushed me as well to learn and absorb everything much faster. And then you know, when you're when you're already in an environment where it's not like life or death every day. But once hmm. I you know had the opportunity and learned so much from there, then CLS, where I had to speak Chinese every day, wasn't that huge of a challenge for me.
1: I, I find that really cool. And I think that you can hit the ground running and just maximize your, you know, two month CLS experience. Um, so you probably then were watching people go through the struggles. You touched on that a little bit um were you someone who was then sort of being like a comforting big sister maybe a mother teacher figure or were you like were you watching it from afar and doing your own thing or were you deep in it trying to comfort them were you guys working through stuff together and then um how were you finding like what are some safe spaces um and self-care methods that you found yourself using or other people using
0: Wow, that's so interesting that you asked that. Actually, my nickname was like Mama Wendy during both. I know, I got the vibe. Viruses. I just
1: had this feeling because you, you have a very calming presence, too.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe it's because I'm a nurse and I, it's like my um, instinct to I want totally to take care of people. That. But throughout the summer, I would do things like I installed certain apps and I'd get food delivered for like 10 people to our dorms and we didn't want to walk outside and go eat for whatever reason, whether it was raining, I just liked organizing things and people would come to me um, just, um, for advice and they knew I had some experience living in China already and studying in China previously. And I just, I really like being there for my cohorts. Also like when I say I like thrived in the CLS um, in, during my experience in CLS, I did, but it, that didn't mean like it wasn't really hard as well. Um, I just wanted to push myself to that next level. So I feel like I'm really hard on myself, but, um, I really like, I can absolutely say
1: 100% that I made the most out of it. Yeah. So I was 19 when I did CLS and that was the first time I'd been abroad besides like a family vacation. And the first time I'd been by myself for two months, um, outside of college, which was an hour and a half from my parents. So it's, so I imagine I would have clung to you if you'd been in my CLS program um, as a, as a, an alumni ambassador and just someone who seemingly likes to talk about CLS and reflect on your experiences a lot, um, how were, how do you, or did you give advice to people that were struggling to find that balance between engaging with the culture, but also not being hard on yourself if you want to, you know, watch Netflix and text your friends during the night? Um, I find it mm-hmm. personally, I was really hard on myself I think we're all academically focused if we do CLS and it just is, can be incredibly overwhelming and that can end up being the hardest part. Is like not just doing homework the whole time as a crutch or a defense mechanism, you know, going out, but also letting right. yourself stay in.
0: Mm-hmm. So I did have a few students come to me with that concern. We, they always thought that we had so much homework and we have something called tingxie which is dictation quiz every day. They would say like a, a couple sentences and you'd have to have you know, a certain amount of time to write that down that would stress a lot of people out i always said to them look you're in china for two months um in five years from now are you going to remember exactly <laughs> what grade you had on that quiz or test or are you going to remember that really awesome experience you had with your host family or your roommate where you went out you went to a park you went to the zoo you went to a museum um and they're definitely going to remember that experience more so i, I just try to encourage them and say that it's like a balance there's align. Sometimes, you know, you study so much, you feel like your brain's going to explode. So then you should, you know, take a break and talk to your family, watch some Netflix. Well, if you're in China, you can't, but in Taiwan, <sighs> you could.
1: Yes, right. <sighs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. God.
0: So yeah, what well, China, mainland China is like another beast of its own, because it's so annoying with like the VPN, you're like disconnected from Facebook, Instagram. So there's like different strategies that I encourage, like for myself, I, I would try to ask my like roommate to quiz me and I would like read my report that I would just written out loud to her and having that human interaction really helped me I wasn't just locked in my room I'd like study outside I'd like find a group of friends and study together it
1: seems like you've really reflected on it too and you've learned so much and um, a lot of the reflecting that I did about CLS has been I mean I think about it Pretty constantly. I, I did CLS Jordan and then I lived in Jordan after for semester and then I did Fulbright in Morocco after college. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like, can the somebody
0: please interview you and Ashley so we can get your podcast <laughs> up? I, I know, but it's
1: me, funny but, because everyone yeah. has these credentials. Every It's so funny talking to other people. Everyone did CLS or Gilman or Boren or Fulbright or like anything and all of the above. I mean, you are like incredibly qualified and just the ways you're using language are so interesting. And I'm not really in an academic circle anymore these days. I'm with people who do like tech marketing so I'm just it's so refreshing to hear your perspective and I think we think um in very similar ways about a lot of stuff so yeah this is I mean this has been like it's really interesting to hear your experience um thank
0: you it's really interesting to hear yours as well I'm also going to be doing I applied for the alumni development fund so um, I have like few yes, ideas of how to implement my project and I'm working on that with two um CLS alumni that are here in New York City Ooh, what's the project? I wanted to bring attention to resources for Asian Americans in New York City area. So there's this model minority myth that all Asian Americans are very successful or highly educated, doctors, nurses. It's kind of what's expected, but I, you know, I've always known, and then I looked deeper into like statistics and realized that actually Asian Americans have the highest rate of poverty amongst all ethnic groups in New York City, which I found to be wow. really shocking. And my grandparents are like 82 years old this year. They have like very limited resources. They don't really speak English, just very, very basic. So they rely on others in the family for help. So I just wanted to hold an event where all different Asian Americans can gather and learn about resources within the community. So there's like different professional organizations that I'm currently part of in New York. So I've invited a few of them to speak. The goal of this project is to invite these several different organizations there and anybody who's interested, CLS alumni who are interested in volunteering with any of these community organizations, um,
1: they can all attend, it's open to the public. I mean, I'm sure you had this type of empathy and compassion before you did all this travel, but I really do feel like when you've been in a position where you yourself are confused or bewildered or feeling a bit out of body, like you don't belong, you just then when you do come back to your home, you have a whole new um, outlook on it and you start to see people who might be in those situations around you. Even if you grew up there, you know, you know your whole life. So, yeah, I mean, I think this event sounds incredible. And like you said, you really are just one person. And it seems like you are like so really extending yourself out there. Um,
0: Thank you. Positive
1: vibes needed. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Put it out. Manifest it. To, To bring it a bit back to diversity and inclusion, I'm curious how you feel that diversity and inclusion are um, being addressed in China, both explicitly and implicitly. And um, you did touch upon this a little bit. But I'm curious what areas you think need to be improved upon and what areas the US could learn from um, from China. More and more
0: American students and foreign students are studying in China, so doors are being opened. And the Chinese community are seeing Americans from various walks of life. One really small example is in both CLS groups I was part of, we had somebody who's, like, not a traditional um, CLS student. And to them, that's, like, mind-blowing. Like, nobody who is 40, 50 years old would ever go back to college Mm. um, in China. That's just not something that happens. They're so limited. You really have to be within a certain age frame. You have to take the Gaokao to get into college. Um, it's not just for anybody. So that they were like, wow, the US, you have community colleges. If you decided you want to transition careers, you can go back. Wow, well, that's really cool. Um, I think just having more students study and doing that cultural exchange, it allows them to see how diverse the US is and then that leads to inclusion. Um, the more you understand somebody else's culture, um, the more educated you are and you know you can exchange ideas and you know, that leads to both diversity and inclusion. Um, I feel like the U S is also understanding more about China for many Americans. It was, it's kind of hard to really understand China unless you've been there because you read so much in the news. It seems like this giant country with like millions and millions of people. And then maybe they're all kind of the same. But once you go to China, you see the incredible, thousands of years of history, um, that there's different languages or different dialects. Um, so many dialects and cultural differences within, you know, Beijing. Um, and then you go to the South and it's a totally different group of people. They look different, they eat different foods, they speak another language, they have different religious and cultural beliefs. Um, so you also see so much diversity within China. And that's, that has been something that was really surprising for American friends that I've traveled with. Um, to China, they kind of all thought that you know, all the Chinese people spoke Mandarin, mm-hmm. they have the same religion. They're kind of the same. So I think, yeah, it's all just about mutual understanding, and it'll all I think it takes time, um but I'm really encouraged. I've seen such a difference um, from when I first went to China in two thousand and thirteen and now. So even Qian, the city that I first went to, Back then, there was like no Americans there in 2013. Everybody was going to Beijing and Shanghai. And because I did this government-funded program, I really couldn't go to those cities. I, um, I was placed in Xi'an, a city where I really um, had to learn Chinese in order to communicate. And now when I go to Xi'an, there's so many Americans there. There's so many foreigners. Oh, wow. and, in just um, f- four years? Been, yes. In wow. four years, so much has changed. Like new buildings, new businesses. There's more Western brands there now. Um, so their technology has improved. Everybody's using like WeChat to pay for everything. That wasn't quite the case yet in 2013. So now I like at the school that I, re- I went to there, they ha- they have really expanded, like tripled the amount of students, um, foreign students studying there. So I thought, felt that was really encouraging. I feel like with every year there's more and more students studying in China and that facilitates, um, more diversity and cultural understanding.
1: Do do you find that, um, that, and this might be your personal opinion, that the diversity in China is um, similar to the? I don't really subscribe to this belief, but the U.S. melting pot, like it's a mix of cultures, or do you think it's more like a fruit salad where all the cultures kind of coexist in their own separate units? Um, like, do you have a sense of how China views their own diversity?
0: Yeah, so um, it's not quite like the melting pot because most people will be able to speak Mandarin. So that's what um, kind of unites them. And they have that shared history. I mean, there's different people groups and like um, there's conflicts in, within China, like in the West with Xinjiang and like the whole t- Tibet um, discussion. Mm-hmm. So, there, you know, it's not like one giant happy country. Um, so there are like problems there but in in general um, you know someone from Beijing feels like they are Chinese they they do have their own dialects and their own culture but they still feel Chinese and someone in the south and Guangzhou they speak Cantonese but they also speak Mandarin and overall you know they still have that mutual understanding that they are China they are Chinese um so yeah it's it's a different from the US in yeah, that aspect that is definitely much more of a melting pot. um, And, you know, China's moving towards only speaking Mandarin. So a lot of the younger kids I've met, they actually don't know the language of their grandparents who grew up speaking a certain dialect. And I I find that to be a little bit sad, honestly. Uh, I hope they don't lose any of those um, dialects and any traditions in order to be more, I guess, in the modern era. So um, yeah, I always encourage them, like, you know, learn from your grandparents and don't let that dialect die out.
1: God, I feel like that's such a similar case everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's the same in any Middle Eastern country too. There's something called, um, I'm sure this exists in every language. It's called Arabizi. It's a combination of Arabic and right. English. Oh, and it's wow. like young people use Roman or like um, English letters to type out Arabic words. I feel like a lot of languages have that. That's but, so
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they also drop well, English words just- in
0: huh. Exactly. Many, many languages, they'll just use an English word. Um, and then that replaces whatever that word originally was. Yeah,
1: exactly. And a lot of I talked to my teachers a lot about this, a lot of the older generations are really scared and upset well, about this. Because of course, if you lose language, you lose culture. So all of these dialects and accent differences and generational things are just kind of sort of disappearing in this attempt by younger generations to be quote unquote, more Western, more modern, more technological, more American, whatever it is. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about that as well, for sure.
0: Well, Um, I'd love to hear them. Sometimes you have such an interesting background. And I would, yeah, I just, I love hearing about experiences of CLS students and other languages. It's so different from my own. We have some of the shared same like experiences, like all of us were in class for 20 hours a week. We all, you know, we had Live in dorms or with host families, but um, the different nuances between the countries and um, cultural learning so totally. it's, it's really
1: interesting yeah it's so I mean I've thrown myself into this Middle Eastern North African culture and I feel like I have a, a good grasp on the nuances of the diversity and the cultural groups and the religious ethnic whatever backgrounds but then I think about how like um, siloed my education has been and how little I know about so much of the rest of the world. and I'm just like wow I know nothing about China's diversity um, so that's where I'm hoping you know reading and watching stuff and trying to, trying to absorb that knowledge talking to people like you really comes in yeah. because I feel like while we might not have the experience of each other we have like a, a good grasp of the questions to ask so yeah, yeah I, I really agree so much with to you learn.
0: Mm-hmm. I you know and also moving to Europe I've yes, also been immersed within the Dutch, Dutch culture and then having a unique identity as a Asian American um, everybody wants to feel like they belong but it's, it's so interesting to kind of have the background I do and then go to China go to Europe and observe how the people live there and how I fit in amongst that and I think that's that's helped me to appreciate the U.S. as well we really are a melting pot of cultures and I appreciate that so much now that I live in New York again Mm -hmm. but every day is a learning experience I there's lots I don't know I've made like mistakes culturally and I've learned from those and it's it's always um growth is not linear so that's how I see it
1: I love that what we're calling like a lightning round. Um, Mm -hmm. so you can just rapid fire first thing that comes to your mind. Um, okay. So the first question is what was your favorite food that you tried on either of your CLS programs? There's
0: just so many. How do I, this should be an easy question, but I'm just going to say bubble tea Taiwan.
1: Great. Good answer. I feel like people might actually know what that is too. Um, Yeah.
0: You you can cut the pauses out. (laughs) There's so many. I like I'm such a foodie. So every day, I was eating something. Oh,
1: God, to be a foodie and travel is like just incredible. Okay, so what was your favorite place that you visited on either of your CLS programs? Um, also, so a very broad I would, question.
0: Yeah, I've been to a lot of places in China. Okay, so I really loved um, Jiuzhaigou. That it's called Nine Village Valley. It's in Tibetan Sichuan. Um, just gorgeous scenery. Like took. A bus to get into the mountains um, and that was like really interesting for me to experience like the um, Tibetan Sichuan culture there and the language and the food.
1: Okay and what is your favorite phrase in Chinese and then if you could say it too.
0: I love the phrase uh, rusla it literally translates to I'm so hot I could die you can also (laughs) use it as well I'm so hungry I could just die very dramatic, and I everyone just says it in that way, and it's so much fun to say. I'm like so tired, I can die. I'm so hungry. I'm so
1: mad. Oh my god, I love that. I feel like we have that in English, right? I'm starving. It's just so yeah. dramatic. <laughs> okay, so now tell us about a time um, on either of your CLS programs where you wanted to cry.
0: Hmm. Okay, I would have to say um, that that would just be certain stories I've heard of um, heard from locals while I was on either experience, it made me realize how privileged I am. Like even the basic things like our, having a U.S. passport, like mm-hmm. most people might not think about it, but we have visa-free access to so many countries. Someone from China or someone from another country can't just as easily enter another country for 90 days visa-free whether um, whenever they feel like. Yes, we have to get a visa to China, but it's also not that hard for us, whereas for a Chinese person, they have to provide so much documentation to go to the U S or another country and just a very simple privilege like that. Um, I mean, we have so many options for education, whether it's trade school, community college universities, it's not like that everywhere in the world. So we are, I just feel very lucky and privileged, um, that when you travel to other places and see how others live, it really opens up your eyes.
1: Yeah, that's really hard coming back and your eyes are opened now to just how wasteful we are and how wealthy we are as a society here. And um, yeah, that's really hard to unsee and, and stop thinking about for sure. Okay. And now tell us about an aha moment that you had uh, when you were studying with CLS. So maybe you realized that your language skills had just kind of clicked into place or you made some type of connection or, you know, something specific happened if you have one or two moments that you can think of.
0: hmm um, so going into Taiwan, my main barrier to, to in my language skills was I wasn't really able to discuss like political or social issues on a deeper level. I could say the very basics of what I thought and then I um a class where we specifically focused on those issues. So a couple of the topics were the Syrian refugees. Um we talked about um other topics as well, like um like technology, and having having learned um, how to say specific vocabulary and how to defend my views in class, I was able to discuss those views with friends outside of the classroom, and that was mm. really like, okay, I can say more than just, I think we should welcome these refugees. I would say exactly why and be able to discuss that, um, various laws and policies that were in place and... It just made me really happy that I could um, connect to my friends on that deeper level, now that our conversations didn't have to be um, on a shallow level, and we could really discuss any topic we wanted.
1: Um, OK, final question. We've talked about this this like mama bear thing a lot um, throughout this conversation. But I'm curious if you had to pick like one or two pieces of advice that you'd give to someone, let's say someone who's never been to China before, maybe has limited language experience. Um, what what's one thing that you would tell them about how to prepare or um, just how to how to make the most of the experience
0: yeah that's a great um, question so I get asked this a lot I've been speaking at a couple universities lately to promote CLS like Columbia and John Jay and I got this question a lot um, for someone who's never been to China China is a huge country it's very diverse and um what your front experience in Beijing may be different than what you will experience in your city. Um, just really embrace it and respect the culture and the local people. We're in their country, we're their guests. Um, mm-hmm. so don't, you know, force your point of view onto others. Um, be willing to listen and learn from them and understand that the way you've always done things may not be the one and only way to do a certain thing. I think just to um Really, be open and willing to learn is key. Um, I'd also give I'd give the advice of really like hammering it in. Like this is two months, mm-hmm. only two months. You have the rest of your year to speak English. I don't want people to go back to the U.S. and what they remember most is they were in their room doing their homework and really focusing on their grades when they could have been outside, like trying new foods. I know it's very exhausting. so people need their rest. Um, I I just want them to um, pursue their passion or hobby while they're there, not just always cling to the group. But if you're, if you really like to run, like I just encourage um, one student to start a running club and he could get, you know, um, other students to join him. That's how you make new friends. And I always give the advice of try to eat with somebody different at least once or twice a week. So for me, I would randomly put my tray in the cafeteria next to a random student and introduce myself and start conversations. And that's how I made really good friends. Um, I really love my CLS group. I didn't necessarily need to eat lunch with 10 other American students. <laughs> I just saw them really? in class. Why not? <laughs> for hours. Uh, I think that's fine if people want to do that. Kind of awkward, obviously, but um, then yeah. I
1: kind of but I made really great friends and got to know people I never would have. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible advice. Yeah, I, I, I like. It's hard not to be hard on myself, my like young nineteen year old self who did CLS because I'm like, you could have made the most of your experience. Like, you could have done even more. But these are obviously things you learn having done it in retrospect. Yes,
0: exactly. And every every time I, um, you know, I've done three study abroads in the Chinese language, and each time I learn more there's definitely, I definitely clung more to the Americans and the English speaking friends during my first time in China and the international friends. And then I still had a lot of some Chinese friends, but then, you know, by round two, round three, I was more trying to make more Chinese friends and hang out more with my roommate um, and her friends rather than just the American group where I tried to bring them together. The only thing I have to say is CLS is going to be the best summer of your life. It's going to be, um, for anybody who's listening who may be interested in going on this program it's so challenging but you will always remember the experiences you have on this program and um, I'd really am encouraged by everything that's um, happening within the CLS community so many talented people using their language skills or using the experience they've had to get them to that next step whether it's a job or internship or going abroad again whatever it may be I think um, the CLS community is very unique and I have made some great friends from here and I- just very excited for the future and to see you know where cls goes and where the um alumni society goes as well
1: yes wendy thank you so much this is such a good conversation it's only 9 30 right now in california and i'm like ready to hit the ground running good cls (laughs) thank you so
0: much for being able to wake up early and do this
1: Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to our podcast today. We want to give a special shout out and thanks to CLSAS and CLS Ambassadors for supporting this programming. And if you guys want to learn more about CLS or CLSAS or be on future episodes of the podcast, go to clsas.org and then the Media tab. And thank you listeners and participants of the pod for being open-minded and willing to jump into these tough but important conversations. The song at the beginning is from when Wendy and her CLS cohort took a weekend trip to visit Evergreen Lily Elementary School and it's the children singing to them.